So hello and welcome to the first of a series of video podcasts around the World Skills Conference 2021, which will be taking place from the 25th to the 29th October. This year's conference is titled The Road Ahead, Skills for a Resilient Future, and we'll be looking at the impact of the pandemic on skills development and the lessons learned that can help reshape the future of vocational education and training to be better prepared for future emergencies. We've got three tracks for this year's uh, conference, and we will be addressing green skills, poverty alleviation, and apprenticeships. And today we want to start the conversation on the future of apprenticeship systems. And I'd like to introduce you to the experts who will be joining us today. We've got Nasreen Mani, who is the executive director for the Global Apprenticeship Network. Hi, Nasreen. Welcome. Thank you. Maria del Mar Munguia, coordinator of GAN Costa Rica. Uh, hi, Maria del Mar. Hi, Judith. And, and Andy Hall, uh, senior consultant uh, policy of the British Council. Uh, hello, everyone, again, and thanks for joining. We've seen that um, there's much evidence that apprenticeships have great benefits on youth employment and skills relevance. However, we find that apprenticeships opportunities are increasingly scarce and enrollment is low almost everywhere. If we look at the past year and a half, the closure of workspaces and training institutions or the lack of public transport, um, it's easy to draw the conclusion that apprenticeships would have been severely hit by the pandemic. Um, after all, a great component of apprenticeships is being on the job training and many enterprises and organizations interrupted or even suspended their programs. I think it'll be interesting to first start with a little bit of a like to see a case of, of a country or, or a region and I'd like to address Maria del Mar and see if she could actually tell us how the pandemic affected apprenticeships in Costa Rica, in Costa Rica, in Costa Rica excuse me, and the uh, larger Latin region. Hi, thanks, Judith. Well, um, just before the pandemic, the Costa Rican Congress passed a law on dual education after more than 10 years of negotiations. So this modality of work-based learning looks to strengthen, complement, and modernize the education system of Costa Rica. But as a response to COVID, uh, the government applied restrictive measures that affect the productive sectors and that generate an increase in the national unemployment rate. Also, the pandemic caused many companies to freeze the work-based learning programs that were in progress and not to open new programs during this time. So GAN Costa Rica, as a representative of the productive sector, has responded to this in, in three main ways. First, creating programs to train and prepare vulnerable young people for the time when work-based learning programs will reopen. Second, promoting partnerships between NGOs or between NGOs and companies to train vulnerable young people or to work jointly on virtual programs. And third, work in two levels to accelerate the implementation of the dual education law. At one level, for example, we uh, work in the creation of a business center, center for dual education 
that aims to organize and accelerate the support needed by companies who desire to implement dual education programs. And in the second level, that represent the productive sector in the National Technical Committee that looks to create a proposal for the implementation of the dual education system. Uh, with respect to Latin America region, before the pandemic crisis, the, this region faced a high youth unemployment rate of almost 18%, and more than 60% of youth was being informally employed. So the current COVID crisis exacerbates this already unfavorable development. And in addition to rising unemployment rates, the suspension of the majority of work-based learning and the school closures during the lockdown in most of the countries will negatively affect the chances of the students to get or to reincorporate in apprentices programs. So to support those students that miss several months of school and avoid them becoming a lost generation, Center 4 is working with Latin American countries in the promotion of pre-apprenticeships programs as a way to bridge the gap between compulsory education and vocational education and training, and as a way to promote quality apprenticeships uh, even though pre-apprenticeship programs do not aim at a direct labor market entry, employer's engagement is one mandatory characteristic to ensure the success of these proposals. Uh, we have some countries, for example, Mexico, Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, Panama, and Uruguay, that confirm that these programs can be one of the solutions. Uh, and, and in conclusion, the private sector and all the stakeholders have to adapt all practices to the new situation, including, for example, digital elements from the beginning and make new programs in line with the pandemic and post-pandemic future. Okay. Nasreen, you, I think you can bring in the more global perspective and, and tell us how businesses uh, dealt with apprenticeships once lockdowns were imposed. Uh, was it on the same line as Costa Rica? What, what was the trend? Thanks, Judith. And Maria, thanks so much for that explanation. Um, I think what we picked up as the, the GAN and working with our partners like the British Council, the ILO, the European Union, were very similar issues on a global scale. So businesses immediately affected as shutdowns and lockdowns, uh, you know, um, escalated around the world. Um, the ILO uh, partnered with several organizations to do a survey around May last year. And we found that, you know, at least 85% of businesses had to stop training. Um, the good news is that many of those companies then restarted their training programs as we adjusted to life under lockdown uh, and different levels of lockdown in different countries. I think globally, we started to also see uh, huge support and acknowledgement for the role of apprenticeships um, and the role that uh, these skills play in the economy. So uh, as as partners in this space, we were we were privileged and, and I think really excited to see government start to implement policies to attract more people into apprenticeship training. The UK, France, several other countries put in place uh, support systems for employers to take on apprentices. In Australia, for example, there was protection for apprentice wages. Uh, so I think that that was really positive to see from a policy perspective, but also very practically it enabled the training to continue. 
as difficult as it was, there were also some really exciting developments. Uh, and the innovation in training, I think, was something that we really saw uh, roll out in different ways across different sectors. Um, in, in my GAN members, large multinationals, uh, in you know, the food and manufacturing sector, in insurance, in financial services, they all responded differently, but they all tried to find ways to deliver the training. So hybrid models of training, the use of digital learning technologies, rolling out tools, so laptops for apprentices, um, you know, trying to get people at least to have the, the theoretical side of the training done, even if they couldn't come into the workplace to do the on-job training. So I think for me, that was really useful um, to be able to show the commitment of employers. Um, at the same time, we know how widespread the youth unemployment challenge is. Um, it's something that globally um, has been a major outcome um, of the pandemic. And, and I think it's really important that we continue on the policy angle. Um, and I think the, the conference this year is going to position really well some of the topics. Um, and I look forward to having policymakers and practitioners join us. Andy, I think um, it'll be interesting to know the perspective of training institutions. Uh, we've also seen many positive examples and uh, that could also pave the way for rethinking apprenticeship in the future. Could you tell me what you've observed? What what uh, can you highlight? Yeah, thank, thanks, Judith. And it's great to hear from, from Nazarene and Maria as well. And their experiences are, I think, really valuable to, to, to frame how, how we think about it. I mean, I suppose my first thing that I would say is it, it's a really it's an it depends question that the, the, the effects of the pandemic have not been felt equally um, across society um, or across countries you know the the, the treatment for how the, the restrictions that have had to be imposed for people's health and well-being have been uh, uneven around the world and that has you know apprenticeships are, are at the end of the day a job and, and and they can only move and respond to the labor market so when we think about the effects on apprenticeships. I think there's there's different aspects to consider. So there's some apprenticeships where you know the 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 job has disappeared overnight due to restrictions have been put in place. Things like hospitality and travel. So that's more of a pause, perhaps that then will still need to be picked up afterwards. There's other industries that have been unaffected or actually needed more labour in the short term and more on on the job training. Um, to be taken out of the classroom and putting people into 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 immediate work, so things like health and social care. So, and then I think the bigger, more profound question is that the shock that this is going to have on on the long term effects of apprenticeships, because it, it was it was a uh, a crisis that happened on a moving train that all the systems were going in different directions and dealing with aging or youthening populations or um, needing to transition to green new industries or needing to retrain workers away from, um, you know, extractives or, or, or whatever they were trying to do. So actually, has the mechanism of, of making these changes been something that we can learn from in how we do it? I mean, we, we, were, we were interested in the views of, of practitioners and training institutions and commissioned the Association of Colleges in the UK to do some research with our global partners in, in Ghana, India, Malaysia, South Africa and the UK as well, you know, asking, you know, public and private training providers and employers um, what what they 
what has what has changed for them and you know 53% of providers have had to adapt assessment mechanisms 58% have said that enrollments in apprenticeships are down over 20% but actually one of the takeaways for me is that while um, 50% of those institutions said that they were changing the way um, that they offer apprenticeships uh, in the it, on a temporary basis. Only 3% said they were changing the way that they offered apprenticeships in the long term. And I do think we need to think about when training providers are talking, uh, and, and there's some really great innovative practice, and Maria's talked on it on some of it, and Nazarene as well, things like shared apprenticeships, where where that employer pool dissipates and you can then move around smaller businesses and, and take multiple placements. But actually, that's relevant for other challenges, particularly in um, economies which have large informal sectors with fewer large employers. That's a lesson learned that can be applied in a different context. And I think training institutions are always adaptable. There's brilliant people delivering apprenticeships. One of my things I like to say is that if you drop me anywhere in the world, within reason, not in an ocean or, or anything like that. But I reckon within a kind of 30 minute walk, I could find some brilliant apprenticeship provision um, that's being delivered. And, you know, almost in a way, there's a policy role of just just getting out of the way of that and allowing that to happen. But the real game is how do you enable that at scale? And actually, when we see in terms of responding to um, the challenges of the pandemic and the challenges that training institutions play, the real balance is to be found between, as Nazarene said, that policy and the practice of allowing um, and providing the, the, the resources along with responsibility to the employers and to the institutions to, to, to address the challenges as they see them, but also within that kind of coherent overall narrative to safeguard the quality of learning uh, uh, and the experience for the apprentice and the, and the employers. So it's there is great practice out there. Um, there is no one way, I think, of doing things um, that will that will address the problem. And everything has to be context led. And um, you know, we've seen that in some of the results of, of the research that we've done. These are all very very interesting um, points, and I think we're going to have the a great opportunity on the launch session for this track innovations for apprenticeships in the post COVID era to uh, really look in depth at the, at the strategies that have worked and that could help countries drive reforms in, in their apprenticeship systems. So this is uh, one, of, one of our big sessions for this track. And then we're gonna have on Thursday, 28th of October, uh, two other sessions. Um, the first one will be looking at the importance of alliances for effective apprenticeships. And the other will showcase um, it will, it will give an opportunity for the European Commission, the ILO and the British Council to be showcasing the recently launched tools for, for assessing apprenticeship systems. Um, There's a little bit what we're going to find in this track and we hope um, all of you at home or anywhere you are in the world to be able to join the full track and all, and all the sessions. Nasreen, you're going to be actually moderating each of the sessions for, for the track. So I'm going to ask you what do you think are the hot topics of these three discussions yeah I'm, I'm really excited Judith because I think you don't often get the opportunity to moderate all the sessions and look at a holistic view of the, the input and the feedback so for me what's really key I think is uh, we, we get the opportunity to hear from policymakers, very senior politicians 
business people. We hear from young people. I think it's incredibly important to get the youth perspective. Um, the other issue is around tools. And I think what's, what's fascinating about the session is it's not just a high-level policy-driven conference. Um, it's really engaging on what are the practical elements of the system, we're going to learn from our partners at the ILO, the European Union and the British Council, uh, showcasing their tools, uh, demonstrating and showing how practitioners can access tools. And by practitioners, I mean both trainers in public and private institutions delivering training, but also employers. Um, and I think it's a fascinating time to be able to uh, learn how to analyze systems, review the policy frameworks, look at the funding, look at employer consultation and engagement. Um, I think uh, this opportunity to engage with one another is, is another factor that's going to come through across all three days. The, the partnership issue, uh, critically important. And I think ultimately, uh, for me, these sessions are going to highlight, one, how to build effective systems, um, how to address both the systemic issues as well as the practical implementation challenges and opportunities. Um, and I think uh, given where we are with COVID, we're now looking at the horizon beyond COVID. How do we solve for a future that's both unknown in some ways, uh, whether there will be continued effects of COVID, but excitingly, there are fantastic new opportunities that come. Uh, I think the future of work discussion is one that is also prompting our system review, um, our delivery of training methodologies, the types of programs in place. So these are the kinds of areas we'll cover in these three uh, sessions. Um, and I look forward to having participants from the policy space, the bureau, uh, bureaucrats, the administrators, as well as those who are trainers, um, and from the private sector. So please join us in the discussions um, between 25 and 28th October. That's great. And um, Andy and Maria del Mar, I'm going to ask you uh, to put uh, your different, a different hat on now and think uh, perhaps we'll start by, and with Andy and see you're a policymaker. And uh, maybe you could tell me what would you get out of... Uh, uh, these three sessions, if you're a policymaker? Yeah, I mean, firstly, I mean, you know, the, the British Council is a cultural relations organisation and we believe that, you know, we're better internationally when we share experiences and challenges and create that kind of friendly knowledge and understanding. So I'm, I'm really excited about listening to uh, how other people have approached um, the same challenges. I think um, we are really kind of, there's a quote about about COVID, which is that the whole world was set the same homework at the same time. And I think it has, it's really interesting to see how people have responded to that. But having said that, I think one of the key things for me uh, uh, and what we've seen through our research and looking at uh, uh, how apprenticeship systems are shaped in, in Pakistan and in Ghana and in South Africa and, and in the UK is you know, there's no one right way to organise an apprenticeship system and that policy has to follow purpose. We, I think, all committed in this world to saying that apprenticeships are transformational and vocational education is an engine to solve, um, you know, or help solve and address some of the most profound challenges that the world is facing. So partly as a group, it's great to get together and reaffirm that together. But secondly, I think it's about... Um, showing the, the, the plethora of different options and that, you know, if you have an apprenticeship system that you want to deliver economic 
um, returns in terms of developing new industry, how does that look different to one that needs to be inclusive for as many people as possible in providing entry level training opportunities? Is that an either or? Well, not necessarily, but we know that in vocational education, often resources are scarce and limited. So I think that's the, that's the exciting thing about, about this track and about this conference is seeing the choices that people make, sharing those experiences. And, you know, it's a lonely world making difficult decisions about how you, you try and meet some of these really difficult and profound challenges. So I think I'm really excited to hear from, from all perspectives from all across um, the world in, in how they're tackling this and, and share those kind of ideas and, and, and solidarity with each other in, in how we're, we're addressing these challenges. That's great. Uh, Maria del Mar, uh, if you could give us perhaps the perspective of businesses and how do you think what's in for businesses, how will it help them improving on the job training and their own apprenticeship systems? Well, I'm, I'm agree with uh, the, the comments that Nazrina and Andy said. I think that it will be a great opportunity for the business sector to share common practices, to know the way of uh, all the countries around the world are facing this COVID pandemic. And, and I think that it will be a great, great opportunity to promote partnerships between all the stakeholders, between the education sector, the company sectors, to work all together around the world and trying to reopen these work-based learning or these apprenticeships uh, programs to boost them and to create new opportunities that the young people needs, especially the young people needs. Thank you. Thank you all for, for your insights. I'm also very excited. I'm looking forward to having these conversations and, and seeing them happen. Finally, I uh, before we go, um, I wanted to have your opinions on what actually should be happen, happening over the next year. We know that governments are striving to reactivate their economies after these months of lockdowns and, and, the, and the economic crisis that the pandemic has uh, uh, provoked. Um, we also know that the apprenticeships could in fact address some of the disruptions and we've discussed it uh, today um, and lay perhaps the foundation to more resilient societies and economies. So I'm going to start by Andy now. What should governments be doing right now to leverage the potential benefits of apprenticeships? Uh, I, I'm not sure I could give a, a pithy answer to that. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a really hard question to answer and, and apprenticeships the great joy of them is that they're employer-led and you know that there's that that ecosystem there that governments you know need to enable and, and, and support but actually I wouldn't necessarily say that the policymakers have to be or, or can be too interventionist in pulling levers and trying to make things happen I think my, my emphasis would be on trying to mitigate some of the really harmful effects of, of the potential for unemployment and lost learning and, and the really damaging effect that that can have on, on, on people's life chances. Um, you know, that, that's got to be a core concern because, you know, we, we face the risk of a lost generation. And I know, actually, there's been some fantastic practice all around the world from governments in, in thinking about innovative ways in which 
to keep um, apprentices engaged, to um, transfer into sort of slightly more digital models, to repackage learning and assessment to try and keep that effect. But my urge would be to think not about this year alone, but to think about 25 years. I think one of the challenges we face in this world is we, we can tell people that apprenticeships are great and then they say that's fine and fantastic let's do some and then tell me how many people have got jobs in 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 six months and there's part of that that is is important but you know it takes time you have to build systems you have to build trust you have to point your apprenticeship system as a policymaker and create the right incentives and um, and, and checks and balances to really drive that change that you want to see. It's a long-term commitment. So I hope that the bright light of attention on apprenticeships and vocational learning um, is allowed to shine for long enough to make those kind of transformational changes that will really impact not just this generation, but the, the generations that come afterwards. Because, you know, as I said before, COVID is a profound challenge, but there are lots of other profound challenges out there. That, that, that really need the attention and the long-term thinking, not just within um, countries and regions and towns and employers, but between them. Uh, Maria del Mar, um, I think it's for you, uh, perhaps we've talked about businesses and how apprenticeships are obviously um, uh, driven by the productive sector. So perhaps you could tell us um, what should uh, the, the business sector and if you feel more comfortable in Latin America, be doing right now to to develop stronger apprenticeship systems. Yes, Jude. Um, the well, we know that the speed of technological change and the accelerated pace of today's economies have increased the gaps between the skills that workers develop in their educational environments and the real needs of the companies. So these gaps have economic consequences at all levels. Uh, at the individual level, for example, this implies higher education costs, difficulty in finding employment or prolonged periods of unemployment, or less possibilities for professional growth, lower wages. Um, at the business level, uh, this implies higher costs in recruitment processes, uh, difficulty in filling certain positions, a decrease in their productive capacity, higher cost, and more time devoted to training. And at the control level, productivity in general decreases, deters direct, for, direct foreign investment, and decreases the general welfare of the country. So against this background, it is clear why all sectors, including the private sector, should be involved in the learning and training processes of the workforce. So, in fact, for example, the results of Manpower's the talent shortage survey published in 2018 sorry, indicate that four out of 10 companies in Latin America have difficulty finding workers with the right skills. So this data is alarming and will only get worse if urgent measures are not taken. So how should the private sector get involved? Well, uh, I think that an excellent option is active participation, for example, in dual education and training and within the qualification framework of each country. So in first instance, 
This training and learning model allows a constant dialogue between educational centers and the private sectors, which directly benefits both school or universities, as well as companies and, of course, students. And in general, they should encourage internships, professional practices, and, and any type of learning based on, on the job. So saying yes to these educational modalities is to say yes to new opportunities, especially for young people who have a lot to learn and to contribute. And it is open new opportunities to the business sector so that it can innovate more easily and thus compete in a more adequate way in the markets. So Nazreen, as, we, as we've uh, mentioned, we're going to be speaking in detail about alliances uh, during our session on Thursday, 28 October. Um, and also we know, as Andy said, that this is not a short-term solution because it takes time to build alliances and global uh, and, and partnerships especially at the global level. So, um, but you could tell us perhaps what's, uh, what's the role of perhaps ready-established partnerships and alliances to play in the near future. Absolutely. I think you know, alliances and partnerships are going to be the foundational form for any improvement and reform in apprenticeship uh, delivery, uh, the whole discussion around quality apprenticeships. Uh, the ILO is working on a global standard that in itself is going to be at least a two-year discussion. Um, and what it's going to require is this engagement, this partnership, uh, discussion, consultation. Um, I think it's an exciting time, even though this is a long time uh, frames that we're talking about. We're, we're looking, as you say, at the long term. We're looking at systemic change. Uh, which shouldn't be rushed. Uh, but at the same time, there are opportunities to move things along through partnerships as well. Um, and I think, you know, Andy spoke about the group training model, for example. Um, and this is done really successfully in Australia, where small businesses come together um, and take turns hosting apprentices to give them training on the relevant areas of the curriculum. Uh, you don't need a long lead time to put something like that together if your system uh, enables it. Uh, the, the Global Apprenticeship Network, the World Skills Organization are good examples of partnerships that enable um, collaboration, build connections. Uh, Maria spoke about the challenges that businesses are facing uh, around retention, around ensuring, uh, you know, world-class skills, availability, um, a workforce of the future. I think employers should be coming in and, and banging on the door of government to participate in policy discussions, to offer to roll out practical projects, to test and pilot. Um, so there are a number of exciting opportunities. Andy is doing really interesting work that, you know, within 12 months is already starting to show gains. Um, both at a systemic level and at a practical level. So there are real meaningful um, changes that can be effected through partnerships, through alliances, um, at the local level, at the global level. Um, I think importantly, and we're going to hear it in the conference, is the youth voice. So, you know, we often hear, don't plan for me without me. Um, so it's important for us to bring the youth into the conversation on how to shape a system that's responsive to the needs of young people. Uh, I think that's critical because that can also accelerate progress. Uh, so there, there are exciting things happening. 
Um, and I think it's all looking to strengthen the collaboration, to strengthen the delivery and to create this culture of effective and quality apprenticeship training um, and vocational education um, systems. So partnerships at the heart of the work that we do. And, and I think we're going to hear some fascinating insights in that session on the 28th of, yeah, I of agree. October. And I think this has been a really interesting conversation and I hope you've also enjoyed it uh, both here and at home. And um, we're really looking forward to having uh, you all on the full track, the future of apprenticeship systems, uh, where we'll be exploring all these topics and more in depth. Uh, we to do hope that you have registered and saved the time for save the date for the World Skills Conference 2021, the Road Ahead uh, Skills for Resilient Future. And if you have not, do visit our website, World Skills Conference 2021, and book your spot. I thank you, all of you, Nasreen, Andy, Maria del Mar, for your time for being able to already set some of the topics and and put forward some of your thoughts around the future of apprenticeships. And um, I want to thank as well uh, all the participants in this track and in the conference uh, and the World Skills Conference Coalition partners uh, for making World Skills Conferences possible as usual, as often or as usual. And we look forward to having you all join us the Global Conversation on Skills Development. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. It's a pleasure.